Alright guys, we're going to go ahead and get started. Hopefully I'll try to talk really loud so you guys can all hear me. How many of you guys memorized 1 Corinthians 10.31? Yeah? Okay, I'll give, I'll give one of you guys an opportunity to quote that for me in a little bit. But let me pray for us and then we'll get started. God, I just pray that you would really use this time in our lives. God, I pray that you would stir a passion for you in our hearts, that you stir a passion for the lost in our lives. And I just ask that your spirit would show up. And as we open the Word of God and as we look at the different illustrations, different things, that we would really be challenged to do your mission in the world, God, and that we would really live lives that are worthy of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah. Kiss me out of the twinkling tw- Oh, hey guys. What's up? What are you guys doing? This is a lot of times the way we are in our Christian lives. You know, our world is an iWorld. How many of you guys have an iPod? Pretty much everyone, yeah. But what it is, is we live our Christian lives and we listen to our Christian music. We go to our Christian Bible studies and we watch our Christian movies and eat our Christian popcorn. And, and we end up doing all these different things and we forget about the world around us. I don't know about you, but as I'm walking around the OU campus, there's always these people. They got their headphones on and they're totally oblivious to everything that's going on around them. You, be, you try to get their attention and you're like, David, David, David. And they, they just keep going. They just keep walking. And I think a lot of times... This is what God is trying to do to us. He's trying to call our name, and He's trying to call us out on a mission for Him. And we can either listen to that call, or we can ignore it. And there's people all around us that we need to look up from our iPod screen and see. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about witnessing, talk about having, living an outward-focused life. Um, so I'm going to tell you guys a story of a man. He was an ordinary guy, just like us, but he did something that was really awesome. So imagine with me getting kind of like your, I don't know, Barney would say your imagination hats on. I'm going to tell you a story. Um, Okay, so a pair of dusty sandals patter down a first century road. Pat, pat, pat. Um, It's a familiar way. It's a way that he's gone like hundreds, thousands of times before. Um, As he's running, this this Jewish guy, he's he's sweating, he's so excited, his his heart's pounding, and he looks into this little, little shack, and his brother is sitting there, and he's tending nets, because they're both fishermen. And he, 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 he leans inside, sweat drips off his nose, and he yells at his brother, We found the Messiah! We found the Christ! Immediately, his brother drops his nets, and both of them go running back to where, where they found Jesus. This is a story of a guy named Andrew. He is, he is one, of my, one of my heroes of the faith. He's one of the little-known little guys in the Bible. But he was one of the first guys to ever follow Christ. You know, it would have been easy if you're one of the first guys in, to follow Christ to really um, maybe write a book about it and sell a lot of copies of the book. You know, maybe you could, maybe you could just sit back in your lazy boy chair, eat some popcorn, and, and watch, Jesus, watch the Jesus film <laughs> as he goes around saving the world, walking on water, healing the sick. But Andrew did the exact, exact opposite. In your verse right here, it says, in John 1, 41, 42, the first verse on your outline says, The first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, We found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. See, Andrew wasn't so focused on his personal relationship with Christ that he wasn't willing to go out of his comfort zone and share, share the gospel with his brother. So it was the first thing he did. Andrew introduced Peter to Jesus. And I think the important part was not that Andrew did something, but that who Andrew brought him to. Jesus changed Simon Peter's name, and you guys know his name is Peter now, which means the rock. And Peter went on to, Andrew did this simple little thing of inviting Simon to meet Jesus. And Peter went on, he led 3,000 people to Christ at Pentecost. He wrote two books of the Bible. He became the leader of what is known as the church. You guys might have heard of it. Basically, he was kind of a big deal. <laughs> but God, see, God used Andrew, and then, and then God used Peter through Andrew. And so you never know who we reach is going gonna, is gonna to make a big effect on, on eternity. Just like Andrew, God has invited us to change the world and to invite people into relationship with Him. And we can either accept this invitation or we can waste our lives. I mean, that's the only two options. And so we each have to choose individually what choice we're going to make. I was thinking about this and I was thinking, you know, Andrew wasn't even one of the top three. He wasn't even, you know, Peter, James, and John 
were the people who were Jesus' main guys, his main disciples. Andrew wasn't one of those guys. Andrew didn't write any of the Bible. But he did get to be a part of the story. And I was thinking about that for us. I hope none of you guys try to write any of the Bible. That would be, that would be a really bad thing. <laughs> but we can all be a part of the story. We can all be a part of the story for one person. We can all be a part of the story for someone and help them come to know Christ. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about how we can change people's lives by inviting them to Christ. So, you guys got your verse cards. I'm going to do another thing. I love having people memorize verses. So what we're going to do is we're all going to memorize John 1, 41 and 42. So write down the reference on one side of the card. And on the other side, write, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. So go ahead and take a second, write that down, and then we'll go on to the, the first point. Okay, so we'll, we'll go ahead and start. And the first point on the, in this verse that we found, we're going to go through Andrew's thing. Um, once you guys are done writing that down, we'll, we'll go ahead and start. And that's the first blank, is the first thing. And you, you look there, there's a, there's a three blank list thing right there. It's the first thing. <laughs> and the first thing he did was make it the first thing. On the top of Andrew's first century to-do list, on his daily planner, that was the first thing that came up. And Andrew decided that there was nothing more important than telling his best friend the most important news that he's ever heard. Um, so we've got to ask ourselves uh, several questions. The first question is, why should I witness? You know, in order to make something a priority, in order for it to be the first thing that we do, we have to know why we witness. So let's just get a little bit of audience participation right now. What are some reasons that you guys can think, without looking at your sheet, for witnessing? What are some reasons that we witness? Go ahead, and anyone can just answer. Bring glory to God. Bring glory to God, yeah. Anything else? We're told to, We're told to yeah. We have the good news. It's awesome. Anything else? Save others. Yeah. Well, I came up with three things that I thought were like kind of the most, some of the most important points. The first one is they won't know unless we tell them. And that's that first blank of number one. We won't know unless we tell them. Romans 10.14 says, How can they believe in Him if they've never heard about Him? And how can they hear about Him unless we tell them? And I think that's the simple truth. If we do not tell people about Christ, they're not going to come to Christ. <laughs> one of the most popular one-liners in, uh, in, I guess, when you're talking about evangelism, is this, this one. You guys probably have heard it before. Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. I really love that quote. That's an awesome quote. But I guess I just want to say that, yes, it is necessary <laughs> to use words also. We've got to preach with our lives, but also, we have to be willing to go out on a limb and preach with our mouths, too. So I think it's both. It's not one or the other. If you think about this, Jesus' great commandment was to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the greatest commandment. And in order to do that, we cannot live our lives ignoring the people that God has placed around us. The most loving thing that you can do for someone is tell them about Christ. That's the most loving thing, by far, that you can do for someone. And if you think about it like this, if Jesus is your best friend... You're going to want to introduce him to as many people as you, as you want. Andy's, Andy's my brother, and so I, I've been, I want to introduce him to all my different friends here so that he can get to know people. It's the same with Christ. We want to introduce as many people to Christ because he's our best friend. But a lot of times we don't. And here's a, here's a really sobering poem. It's by Mark Cale, and there, there's a book. I, I actually recommended it on the back. It's called One Thing You Can't Do in Heaven in That Little Box recommended books. I really recommend any of you guys, if you're interested in witnessing, this is the book that got me on fire, got me started witnessing. And it's one thing you can't do in heaven, because that is the only thing that we can't do in heaven. We can worship in heaven. <laughs> we can have fellowship in heaven. Well, we can't sin in heaven either, so that's good. But we can't witness to a lost person, because it's too late. And so here's a really sobering poem that he wrote. It goes like this. My friend, I stand in judgment now, and feel that you're to blame somehow. On earth, I walked with you day by day, and never did you point the way. You knew the Lord in truth and glory, but never did you tell the story. Though we lived here on earth, you never told me of the second birth. And now I stay, con stay here condemned, because you failed to mention Him. You taught me many things, that's true. I trusted, 
I called your friend and trusted you, but I learn now that it's too late, and you could have kept me from this fate. We walked by day and talked by night, and yet you showed me not the light. You let me live and love and die, and you knew I'd never live on high. Yes, I called you friend in life, and trusted you through joy and strife, and yet, coming to this dreadful end, I cannot now call you my friend. I think that's just the bottom line. We're not being a true friend unless we're sharing the gospel with these people. If we realize that these people are either going to spend eternity with God or eternity separated from God, that puts in such a perspective when we're sharing our faith. That's the one reason God didn't beam you up the moment you're saved was so that you can tell other people about Christ. (laughs) The reason the, the pastor didn't baptize you and hold you under the water and just hold you under and send you up to heaven. <laughs> Get you out of there so that you can come and you can share Christ with the people who need to hear about it. So, in, the, in reality of this, we need to ask ourselves these questions because the way we believe things is the way that we act. So we have to ask ourselves several questions. Do I really believe what I say I believe? Is Jesus really the only way to God? Is He really the only way to God? Is there really a perfect eternal heaven and a literal torturous hell is forever really forever? What am I doing in my life that's going to make any difference 200 years from now? What am I doing in my life right now that's going to make any difference 2,000 years from now? I believe that the answer to these, these two questions, what did I do with Jesus Christ and how did I use my gifts to help others know Him? Those are the things that are going to matter in eternity. Second Peter 3.9 on your outline in the second point. Underneath the second point, God is patient because He wants everyone to turn from sin and no one to be lost. And that's the second point. God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. We don't like talking about hell because it's not a comfortable thing. But I think in, in a proper perspective, if we realize the reality and the, the sadness of it, that we can, it's not a guilt trip, but it's just reality. In the Bible, hell is described as eternal bottomless pit of unbearable physical pain, uncontrollable weeping, complete darkness, and unending restlessness. Just imagine for a second yourself there, and you're experiencing this utter hopelessness, constant physical pain, emotional pain, physical pain, spiritual pain, and knowing that from this moment, 10,000 years from now, I'm not one second closer to any rest or relief. Think about that. Forever in hell is just as long as forever in heaven. And we can celebrate heaven, but we also have to realize, live our lives with this reality that we need, to, we need to do whatever it takes to see people saved. John Thomas wrote this, Can we ever hear a sigh of weariness, see a moment of doubt, or feel pain without being reminded of that place? In all honesty, can we see any unbeliever watch his petty human activities, realize what he has in store, and not be moved with compassion? Rick Warren, in his book, The Purpose Driven Church, um, said it like this, The church that has no desire to see people saved is basically saying to the world, you can go to hell. I think that's true, and I think that's true for us personally. If we have no desire to see people saved, we're basically saying to the world, you can go to hell. And I think even unsaved people see the urgency for this. There was one unsaved guy. He said this. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? If I believe that, I would willingly crawl across England on broken glass to tell men it was true. That's pretty amazing. And so the question we've got to ask ourselves is, do we really believe it? Do we really believe that Jesus saved us and that that people have an opportunity. The good news is that they don't have to go there. The good news is, is that they can have an opportunity to spend eternity with Christ. And the last thing is, you know, I've never heard anyone in the end of their life say, man, I wish I wouldn't have spent so much time sharing my faith. I just wasted so much time. I was, I was spending all my time, like, witnessing to people, and I wish I would have, like, went snowboarding or something like that. But no, I don't think any of us will have that problem when it gets to eternity. And I know for me, personally, nothing has given me greater joy, greater excitement, greater fulfillment than fulfilling God's command. Um, so that's the third point, is that you get great joy, excitement, 
and meaning from fulfilling, that's the word in the blank, fulfilling God's command. I love Mark 8, 35 in the Living Bible. It says, Only those who throw away their lives for my sake and the sake of the good news will ever know what it means to really live. And if you want to live fully alive, if you want to be fully alive, then you got to start sharing your faith. I know for me, when I came to college, I started sharing my faith, and that was the point that my Christian life really took off. Like We can focus on our Bible study, we can focus on hanging out with Christians all the time, and do all these different things, but there's no adventure in that. There's no risk in that. But if we're reaching out, and we're reaching towards the edge of unbelievers, that's where we, we find the adventure in the Christian walk. That's where the faith comes in, where, we, where we're saying something. We don't know the next word that's going to come out of our mouths, but we're saying it anyway. We're just going, and we're following the Holy Spirit. And so I think that's the important part. One story I really like, The Purpose Driven Life. If you guys haven't read this, I recommend you read this book. But I love this story at the end of one of his chapters. It goes like this. My father was a minister for over 50 years, serving mostly in small rural churches. He was a simple preacher, but he was a man with a mission. His favorite activity was taking teams of volunteers overseas to build church buildings for small congregations. In his lifetime, Dad built over 150 churches around the world. In 1999, my father died of cancer. In the final week of his life, the disease kept him awake in a semi-conscious state nearly 24 hours a day. As he dreamed, he'd talk out loud about what he was dreaming. Sitting by his bedside, I learned a lot about my dad just by listening to his dreams. He relived one church-building project after another. One night, near the end, while my wife, my niece, and I were by his side, dad suddenly became very active, and he tried to get out of bed. Of course, he was too weak, and my wife insisted he lay back down, but he persisted, trying to get out of bed. So my, my wife finally asked, Jimmy, what are you trying to do? What are you trying to do? He replied, got to save one more for Jesus. Got to save one more for Jesus. Got to save one more for Jesus. He began to repeat that phrase over and over. During the next hour, he said that phrase probably a hundred times. Got to save one more for Jesus. As I sat in my bed with my tears flowing down my cheeks, I bowed my head to thank God for my dad's faith. At that moment, dad reached out and placed his frail hand on my head and said, as if commissioning me, save one more for Jesus. Save one more for Jesus. And I intend for that to be the theme of the rest of my life. I invite you to consider it as the focus of your life too, because nothing will make greater a difference for eternity. If you want to be used by God, you must care about what God cares about. And what he cares about most is the redemption of the people he made. He wants his lost children found. Nothing matters more to God. The cross proves that. I pray that you will always be on the lookout to reach one more for Jesus, so that when you stand before God one day, you can say, Mission accomplished. It's an awesome story. And I pray that we can say like him, and like the Apostle Paul, in that first verse under the first thing, Acts 20-24, it says, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. He's saying that nothing else in his life matters more. This is the most important thing that he lives for. And I pray that we can live our lives with that realization. So I want you guys to do a little activity. I'll give you a break from listening to me. <laughs> List some things that keep you from witnessing. I'll give, you, I'll give you three blanks. If there's more than three things, you can write those down. But I want you to write down three things and take a minute and just pray over those things and surrender those things to God and really count the cost and say, I'm willing to give this up for your, for your gospel. So go ahead and do that. And then I'll, I'll go to the next point after that. Alright, what are some of the things you guys listed on your sheet? If anyone would be willing to share one, or, one of them. Fear of rejection? Laziness. Laziness? <laughs> yeah, that's a big one for me. Losing a friendship? Losing a friendship? Yeah. What was that? Not being a good witness. You're not ready? Self doubt? Not knowing all the answers. Well, thanks for sharing those, guys. That really means a lot. Oh, yeah, I told you guys I would give you guys an opportunity. Who has read this book? Raise your hand if you've read this book. Who hasn't read this book? Raise your hand. Okay, have any of you guys that haven't read this book 
Can you guys quote 1 Corinthians 10, 31 for me? Go for it, man. <laughs> yeah, that's good enough, man. Yeah. Here's the book for you. And that, I mean, that's the purpose for our lives. The purpose of our lives is to give glory to God. And so I wanted to give that to him. Um, so the second point, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him we found the Messiah, that is the Christ. So the first thing, he made it a priority. And the second thing was he found his brother. And so that's in that, in that second Blake, it's find. In Luke 10.10, 10, it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. If you think about it, Jesus came, that was his purpose for coming to earth, was to seek and to save the lost. And the very purpose that Jesus came to earth, what better purpose to give our lives to than the purpose that Jesus gave it for himself? So, we've got to ask ourselves, okay, so as fishers of men, I, I believe it's our job to look at our different pond. Each of us has a, a pond of influence, a, a, a certain fishing hole that God has specifically placed us to reach. And, and like fishermen, we've got to correct, get the right hook, and we've got to get the right bait. We've got to get the right time of day. And we've got to know which fish that we're fishing for. Andrew was a fisherman, so he understood the need for this. And what he did was he chose the person that was closest to him. He chose his brother Simon at the time, which is now Peter. And he chose the person that was closest. So as we're witnessing, we need to not overlook the people that are closest to us. And that's the first point on that is you need to start where you are. That's that first blank in there, is start where you are. 1 Corinthians 7.17 says, Each one should retain the place in life that the Lord assigned him to, and to which God had called him. See, we need to see our life, our place in life. We've been talking a lot about calling here at this trip. We need to see our place in life right now as the place that God has called us to. We need to see that place as our mission field. We need to see that. I, I, I don't have to go somewhere, but I can have my, the place in life that God has put me, that is the place that He wants me to be a missionary. In the Great Commission, you know, there's the word go. Go and make disciples of all nations. In the word, in the Greek, in the, in the word go means as you are going. Literally means as you are going. And so if we take that word and we say, as we are living our life, as we are going to class, as we are studying, as we are working, we're sharing Christ with the people that are all around us. I think those are the most strategic people that we're going we're gonna to face. And so I think we're going to take a second later and we're going to write down the names of three people. So, so start thinking that as I'm talking. What are a couple people that, that I can really start to pray for and to reach out to? The second thing that you can do to find people is open your eyes. That's what Jesus said in John 4.35. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the field. They are ripe for harvest. So that's the second Blake. Open your eyes. And one thing that I've found in witnessing is that interruptions are often opportunities in disguise. Um, I, I know there's a lot of times in my life that I've missed opportunities. Um, just this week, we were, we were out snowboarding. Uh, right before, actually, right before we came, <laughs> the night before we came, we went snowboarding at a night snowboarding. We were driving by, and we were like, hey, there's a mountain. Let's go snowboarding. So we went. We did some night snowboarding. But as we were going up the lift, if you realize that you're on a ski lift with a person, you've got five minutes, and they can't do anything. They can't get away <laughs> if, unless they jump off. And don't, don't be that bad of a witness. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but, but you have this time, and, and we were starting to talk to people, some of the guys, and we told them we were going to a conference. And I realized, looking back, that I could have used that as an opportunity to say, we're not just going to a conference. We're going to a conference of people that are learning how to follow Jesus better. And, you know, several times we let my, I, I let that opportunity go by. There was another time we were, right afterwards, we drove, we drove to Las Vegas. Um, and we, we found this truck stop because we, we were cheap and we didn't want to stay at a motel. So the three of us guys stayed in our Subaru Outback overnight. And uh, whenever I woke up, I was, I was kind of tired, but... But there was this guy that came out of the car and he started walking towards our car. And my first reaction was, was no, I don't, I don't really want any. He had kind of some dirty clothes and you know he looked like kind of, you know, not the the kind of guy that you would want. But then he he reacted really strongly. He's like, oh man, I'm sorry for, I'm sorry for taking up space. I'm sorry for breathing. 
And then the conviction of the Holy Spirit just hit me right away. It's just like, what would have Jesus done in that situation? Jesus would have, no matter what the guy looked like, you know, he would have tried to love this guy and share Christ with this guy. And so I just realized that there were several opportunities that I missed. Last summer, no, not last summer, two summers ago, I had a chance to go to East Asia for a mission trip. And one night, we were doing this thing called English Corner where we're helping, we're helping students practice their English. And afterwards, we were in this open-air taxi. This guy came in, and he sat next to our girls. And if you go through O-Week with Focus and you go overseas, you realize that you're, as a man, you're supposed to protect the women on your team. You're supposed to be the one that's like, you know, kind of, oh, get away from my woman. And so, so uh, well, I was kind of in that mode because this guy was sitting next to our girls, and I was kind of like, ugh. <laughs> I, just kind of a light went on, and I think the Holy Spirit kind of did something in my, in, my, in my life, and he said, he said, this isn't a nuisance. This isn't an interruption. But this is an opportunity for you to love this guy and share Christ with this guy. And so for three minutes, we were on that taxi, and I just talked to him. I didn't, like, share the gospel. I didn't really do anything. His name was Crusoe. I ended up, I gave him a track. I put my number on the back. That night, he sent us a text message. It was unbelievable. He said, in broken English, he said, Many thanks for your gift, and believe it is God who make us to see each other. I have read the Holy Bible of its first chapter. <laughs> and so we were just so excited. It was like this random guy that we met. It was obviously not random because God doesn't do anything randomly. But obviously, like God was already working on this guy before we came. If I would have just ignored that opportunity and said, this guy is an interruption, he's a nuisance, he, we would have never had that opportunity to do that. And later when we were talking to him, he said that that night was the night that he read that tried. He stayed up into the night and he ended up accepting Christ that night. And so it was really awesome. It was really, really awesome. And, and what, he, what he said later when we were talking to him, he said that we were like, we were like angels sent from God <laughs> to tell him that message. And so it's just like, if we, if we live our lives with this open eye, this expectation that God's going to give us opportunities to share our faith, you never know what doors He'll open. Jesus said in Luke 10, 2-3, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into His field. That's not on the sheet. Sorry, guys. And then He says, Go, I'm sending you out. And He's, he's saying that if you pray for the harvest, and you're willing to pray for workers, inevitably, He's going to call you <laughs> to play a part in the, in the work, to play a part in the harvest. And then the third point, pray for open doors. I think that's the beginning of every, all evangelism, is you've got to start it with prayer. I really like this quote. I think Ian Bounds kind of started it. But it says, Talk to God about men before you talk to men about God. We always need to start with talking to God and praying for people. Praying that God would open the door of people's hearts. Pray that God would open the doors in communities and different people like, like that. Colossians 4, 2-3 is one of my favorite verses when it comes to evangelism. It says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open the door for our message. So we need to devote ourselves to pray for open doors. I'm going to tell you guys another story of when we went overseas. Three summers ago, I was in Nairobi, Kenya. When we were there, we were out there, and we were doing door-to-door witnessing, and we were knocking on these guys' doors, and we saw a lot of guys accept Christ that, that summer. We, about, probably about 50 guys accepting Christ. It was just a really, really awesome experience. But one night... Joe, one of the guys on our team, he was saying, oh, I, I shared with this guy and I really want to pray for him. I really want to, like, you know, lift him up before God. And I was thinking in the back of my mind, you know, this is prime time for me to go out and share the gospel. But I was like, oh, I guess I'll do the spiritual thing and, and pray for this guy. And so I'm sitting there and I'm praying and I'm thinking, like, why am I not out doing the real work? Why am I not out, like, sharing the gospel? <laughs> when we were praying, we were sitting there next to our apartment and we were praying, and this guy walks up. His name was Teddy. His parents had both died of AIDS, and he was an orphan. And he ended up coming up to us and talking to us. Ended up right there where we were praying for someone else. God allowed Teddy to come into our lives, and we ended up sharing the gospel with him, and he accepted Christ that night right there. God just used that time to show me that if I'm faithful to pray... He's going to open up doors. He's going to bring people into my life for me to share the gospel with. And so, you know, another cheesy way of saying that is we need to go to God in prayer before we go to them and share. I love cheesy lines like that. Before we, go, before we left to go back to America, um, I was able to meet with Teddy, and 
we were able to meet one-on-one, and I gave him a copy of The Purpose Driven Life, that book. And at the end of the, the summer, he said this. He says, Now I have a purpose. My life has a purpose. I know it all starts with God. And before, I never realized that. <laughs> and it was just so awesome. You know, his parents had died of AIDS, but now he knows that he has a Heavenly Father who promises to never leave him nor forsake him. It was just, it was just really cool. And so, Matthew 7, 7 is another verse. Jesus said, Ask and will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. What we're going to do right now is we're going to take a second and write down the names of three non-believers that you know. Lift them up in prayer and pray for them for a minute. Pray that God would give you open doors to share with them this year. Because I think that's the starting point, is having people that you're praying for that God would open doors, and then when God opens them, walking through. So take a second and write down three names, and then go ahead and pray for them um, silently to yourself. And then, and then we'll start and we'll talk about how to tell people about Christ. Alright, well let's go ahead and uh, read through our memory verse again. We're going to read it through it together this time. So get your handout out and John 1, 41, 42. I'll start us out. 1, 2, 3. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Okay, so the first thing you do is you make it a priority. The second thing you do is you've got to find people to witness to and I know for some of you guys, writing down those three names was a hard thing. It's, it's actually a hard thing for me, being in Christian ministry. It's a really hard thing to do. But I encourage you guys to keep praying. And if you don't have three people on that list, keep praying that God would open doors in people's lives. One more thing about prayer I, I forgot to mention that I love. You guys might want to write this quote down. It says, When I work, I work. But when I pray, God works. <laughs> I think it was Bill Hybels that wrote that. And I just love that quote because I would much rather have God work than me work. So we need to spend time in prayer before we share. And then the next thing is tell. That's the next thing that we need to do is tell people about Christ. Andrew didn't have to know it all before he talked about Christ. It says it was the first thing that he did. And so he was a brand new believer in Christ, but he knew enough in order to bring someone and to tell him what he had found, which was the Messiah. That's the first point when it comes to telling others about Christ, is realize, that's the, that's the blank in there, realize that you don't have to know it all. I really like the quote on the other side of the page. It says, Witnessing is nothing more than one beggar telling another beggar where he found some bread. I really like that quote because it's, it really puts it in perspective. We're, not, we're no better than the people that don't have Christ. I would say this. The only difference is that we have found the bread of life. <laughs> and I would, I would rephrase the thing. I would rephrase it like this. Witnessing is nothing more than one stoked beggar, excited beggar, telling another beggar where he found an endless buffet, living water that flows for eternity. You found a mansion to live in, in heaven, and you found a family to belong to, and... He found a job <laughs> to tell other people about Christ. And so I think that's really more like what witnessing is. We're, we've given, given so much by Christ, and there's nothing that we can do to deserve it. And so we're just like beggars telling other people about what we've found. Um, see, we're not called to be God's defense attorneys. We're called to be God's witnesses. You know, a lot of people, the main excuse that they give for witnessing is, I don't know enough. You know, I don't have enough Bible knowledge. But... Let me ask you a question. Did someone lead you to Jesus? Yes, yes. Well, then you do know enough <laughs> to lead someone to Christ. Jesus said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He didn't say, come follow me and after three years of seminary and five years of ministry experience, then you can start sharing Christ. He said, come follow me and tell about the experiences that you have. You see, a witness is someone that tells the truth. tells what he's seen and heard. And that's with our lives. We can just share simply what we've seen and heard. Jesus, whenever he healed the blind man, and the blind man was standing before, I think it was the Pharisees and stuff, and they asked him, you know, who is this Jesus guy you're talking about? He didn't know much, but he said, one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. And I think that's the principle that we need to, we need to go back to, is that we, we don't know everything. We shouldn't know everything. But... We can be used of God if we simply say what He's done in our life. If we share our story of, of how, what the things God has changed in our lives. 
I want, I want you guys to all commit to writing down a one, one minute testimony this week with this, like, what was life like before receiving Christ? And tell people some of the problems or feelings you, you faced. You want to keep it really short and simple. And how did, how did you come to Christ? Uh, include the ABCs, admit your sin, believe in Christ, and commit to Him. And then, finally, what is your life like right now? I would list the top three benefits that God has given you in a way, a, a really relational way, and make it really short, really succinct, because people don't want to hear you preach to them, but they do want to hear you tell what God has done in your life. And so, that's the second point, is keep it simple, stupid. Kiss. you got to kiss. That's the key to sharing your faith, is to kiss. The Apostle Paul asked for a prayer that he would do this. In uh, Colossians 4.4, 4, he says, Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. He said, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. So Paul prayed that, they would, that he would proclaim it clearly. And as we're, as we're witnessing, a lot of times, in order to, like make the gospel better. We try to add lots of verses, and we try to do lots of like fancy things to try to impress the person that you're standing next to. But what they need to hear is the simple gospel, the simple, clear message of what Christ has done for our life. And so I think that's really key. And one way, a couple of ways I do that, um, I call this the TNT of dynamic or explosive evangelism, <laughs> is your testimony. I just talked about your testimony. Coming up with like a one to two minute testimony is a really powerful tool that you can turn it on at any point and you'll be ready to share your faith. And then another thing I like to use is on your seat there was a track called The Steps of Peace with God. If you guys want to get that out and look at it. It was made by Billy Graham. I don't know if you guys have heard of him. He's, he's a pretty cool guy. And it's really legit and it goes through just like the, uh, the bridge to life. A lot of you guys have learned to, to do that and to share the bridge on paper. And this is just another way to do that. That has, and uh, one, th- one thing I like about it is you can leave it with people and they can turn around and they can share it with other people right away. In Kenya, my brother shared, shared his, his faith with a track with one guy and then a little while later he shared, he shared using that same track with one of his friends and his friends accepted Christ. And so it's, it's, it's a really powerful tool that you can use and you can always know that you're not going to mess it up. If you can read, you can share your faith with this. So it makes it really easy. So you don't have an excuse not to witness now. And you can order those online. Pretty much everything I'm telling you, you can order online. And so you say, okay, okay. You know, it's simple. It's easy. Anyone can do it. There's got to be some, like, prerequisite for sharing your faith, you know? There's got to be some thing that I can reach that I have to do before I can share my faith. And you're right, there is. Uh, Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 2.3 says, I came to you in weakness and fear and much trembling. So, are you weak? Do you experience fear and trembling when you do witnessing? <laughs> I know I do. I, I always do. But that's the requirement. See, that's the third point, is God specializes in using weak people. God is not looking for spiritual superstars. He's looking for people, ordinary people, that God can work through your weakness and shine His glory. Because that makes Him look better. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 4.7 4, says this, We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that this great power is from God and not from ourselves. When Jesus chose the twelve disciples, He didn't choose the the most educated man. He chose fishermen. He chose ordinary people. Um, in Acts 4.3, if you skip down, there's, there's a verse there. It says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. And so, God specializes in using weak people. And it says here that they saw the courage of Peter and John. A lot of us experience a lot of fear in witnessing. And so, we got to ask ourselves, how do we dis- diffuse this fear? And let me, let me tell you guys a story of my childhood that kind of illustrates one way that we can lose this fear. One sunny day, early in childhood, my family and I were riding bikes in the park. And my little brother, he was a little tot. He was about probably five or six years old. And he got his training wheels off, so he was pretty excited and like showing off to mom. Hey, mom, look! And we were riding on this, it was like a sidewalk, and on either side there was water. You can probably see where this is going. But he was riding his little bike, 
And he went, he lost his balance and went careening down and smashed into this mud, muddy, mucky mess. And my mom was standing right there. And what she did was she jumped in right after him. Like, immediately. She didn't even think about it. She didn't think about getting your hair wet. She didn't think about getting your shoes wet. She didn't think about anything. But she jumped in after my brother, and she pulled him out of the water. And she, she was, like, so intense on saving my brother um, from drowning. And I was thinking about that, and I was thinking that my mom's concern for Joey was greater than her fear. My mom's concern for my brother was greater than her wanting to be comfortable or her wanting to get her shoes wet or her hair wet. I think that if we realize that every day people are literally drowning in their sin, that people are literally going to hell, we are concerned for them, we'll, we'll be willing to do whatever it takes to reach out. And so that's the biggest thing with fear, is our love and concern for others will take away our fear. If we fear men more than we fear God, then we're not going to share our faith. But if we love God and people more than we fear people, then we'll be willing to share. It's that simple. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 8, says there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. And that's the fourth point, is fear paralyzes, but love mobilizes. And I think that's, that works with our fear. Fear kind of keeps us in this box. We're like mimes in this, with this invisible box that's around us, and we can't get out. The fear just kind of holds us there. We don't do the things that God wants us to do. But love mobilizes us. Love pushes us out of our comfort zone and causes us to go share Christ with people. You know, and God was the first one to do this. It says we love because, we, because He first loved us. And love was the thing that mobilized Jesus to come down to earth. You know, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His Son, that Jesus came down and He was willing to die for us. And so love was the thing that mobilized Christ. And love is the thing that needs to mobilize us as we share our faith. You know, another illustration is this. If you found the cure for AIDS and you didn't share it with anybody and everyone in the world was infected, you would be considered really heartless and a really bad person. But how much worse is it when we, we have the greatest cure for a disease that everyone in the world has? Everyone has the disease of sin. And we're not sharing that with others. What is that saying to the world? Andrew simply told, he told him what he found. So, you know, keep it simple. Understand God uses weak people. And understand that your fear paralyzes you. But the only thing that can truly conquer your fear is your love and concern for others. And remember, people can argue with your theological points, but they find it really hard to argue with your story, to argue with your testimony. So I encourage you guys to share, share that with others. All right, um, and then finally, it gets us to the first thing Andrew did, we made it a priority. The second thing was he, he uh, found his brother Simon, and then he told him about Christ in a simple way. We found the Messiah that is the Christ. That's all he had to say. And then third, he brought him to Jesus. He brought Peter one step closer to Christ. And that's the illustration that I was going to tell you guys about. was a link in the chain. You guys all got the little chain links on your, on your seat if you want to get those out and hold them to remind you. And one thing we have to realize is that people are on a journey towards knowing Christ. Let's just say this middle one is uh, the point that they accept Christ. And people are on a journey, and there's a series of experiences that is causing people to get one step closer, one step closer. And we can be one of these links in the chain for someone. If you think about this, Bill Bright said, success in witnessing is simply taking initiative in the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. See, we are God's tools. A tool never says, oh, look at this cool building that I made. A tool is the thing that God uses or or the builder uses in order to do something. That's the idea. Success is being a link in the chain. That's the first thing on your, on your outline. The first blank is be a link in the chain. 1 Corinthians 3.6 says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. And so Paul played a part, Apollos made a part, but God ultimately was the one that made it grow. I'm going to tell you guys a couple of stories of some people that were uh, saved this way and some people maybe that, yeah, but anyway, that's, that's it. Um, I'm going to tell you about Eduardo. He was a guy, he was a cultural exchange student from Mexico. One thing he did was he came, to, he came to Oklahoma. He didn't know anyone in the dorms. But my brother and I, we had a dorm Bible study. So maybe like 
That's, if, if here's where he gets saved, here's, here's the dorm Bible study. He came to the dorm Bible study. Ended up, my brother Paul, he like talked to him a little bit. He, he kind of, you know, shared a little bit with Eduardo, really accepted him. And then that night, I was able to go play a little pool with him and shoot some billiards with him and, you know, maybe, you know, just, and I also got to, got to read through the track. And whenever I read through the track, he said, I am one half Christian. And so we were like, well, you know, you can't really be halfway Christian. You can only be 100% or nothing. And so we kept, but he kept on coming around, kept on hanging out with us. And he started coming to our large group meeting on campus. There's the next one. And he saw that the community and the group that around us was a, people that really loved each other and that people that really accepted him for who he was, something that he's never experienced before. And so that was the team effort on the part of our group. So he started coming around, he hanging out with us a lot, and then he came to this retreat with us. Okay, I guess here is probably, Bruce getting pretty close now. <laughs> he came to this retreat with us, and again, people were loving on him, and there was this time that we were supposed to go have quiet time, and he had no idea what quiet time was. So my brother and I went in with him, and we, we happened to, you know, just choose John chapter 3, I don't know, it's, a, it's the weirdest thing in the world. But, uh, and he ended up, we, we each did, kind of did an application for our time. And we said, so Eduardo, what's your application? And he says, I think I need to receive Jesus into my heart. And so at that point, he ended up accepting Christ. It wasn't overnight, but he ended up receiving Christ as a series of event, a series of chains, a link in the chain to help people come to know Christ. And it was just really awesome. He's from Mexico, and he's back right now. And he, he was talking about he wants to go back and be a missionary in his home country. And it's really awesome on Facebook, you know how you put your birthday and everyone, every million people sends you a thing on your wall. Um, and I, I got a tip for you guys. If you want to be special, send them a message instead of a wall post. Because no one sends messages, but it makes it like a lot more special. So if you want to get on someone's good side, that's a good thing. But he ended up putting his uh, spiritual birthday instead of his physical birthday on his Facebook. And that was really awesome. Um, and so I was just thinking, Andy also has a story of a guy named Kaz. He's from Japan. What Andy and some of his group has done is kind of the same thing. And international students are so key. If you guys have international students on your campus, I encourage you guys to do that. Andy's going to read his story. Kaz wrote a little letter. So. I don't know if you guys realize, but on your campuses, God has brought the whole world to your campuses. And it's just simply amazing how God is doing that. And um, I want to uh, read you guys a little letter that my friend Kaz from Japan uh, basically wrote to his friends before he left to go back to Japan. He actually just went back to Japan. And um, I want to show you the impact that you guys could have in befriending the international students. Being a friend and sharing the love of Christ with a student from some other country. So this is his letter. He says... There might be a few English classes, uh, but it says, Dear my friends, well, it's time to say goodbye to all of you. Before to say that, let me tell you something. It has passed two years since I came to Texas. Time goes by so fast, more than I can imagine. I still remember the first day in Texas. That time I was so excited about the UTA life of my school, study, research, and experience different culture and meeting new people. But there was one thing I never imagined that time was to become a follower of Christ. After one year and ten months from that day, I believe Jesus died on the cross for our sin and rose again. And through him, our sin will be forgiven. Then I committed my life to Christ and got baptized. My life has been changed a lot after I became a Christian. I have been greatly blessed by God. He has given me a purpose of life, joy to live with him, and he has set me free. I realize that I am a sinner and weak. But I don't, I don't worry about my future, because God is always with me. I'd like to thank all of you guys from the bottom of my heart. You helped me make this decision. When I was reading the Bible three weeks ago, God gave me a word that clearly tells me why I am going back to Japan. Then Jesus said to them, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I commanded you, and sure that I will be with you always to the end of the age. Now I can clearly see why God has planted for me in Japan. I want to live for Him 
You saved me and changed my life. I am going back to Japan. It's a dark place for the Christian, but the Christian is just 1% of the population. I am sure that Satan will attack me in many ways, but I am ready to protect myself, and I, even I don't worry about that, because I put all my faith in God, and keep praying that I believe that He is always faithful. He says, Please pray for me that God will give me the church where I can grow and more as a Christian and possibly start ministry. I also pray for people in Japan who have never heard about the gospel. Again, thank you for everything you have done for me. I am so blessed to know you. I'm so proud of all of you and I will miss you. Keep in, keep in touch through Facebook. Until next time. <laughs> Enjoy your life at ETA and God bless you. Love you all. Your brother in Christ. Haas. Yeah. And he sent this letter to us. And it's just amazing that the power and the, that just you guys befriending an international can make. And this took two years for him to come to this point. But it was well worth it because we're sending a missionary back to a land that desperately needs Christ. So. Yeah. It's awesome. You want to just keep being my holder right here? <laughs> so, you know, there there is cause. And, you know, Andy and a lot of his friends invited him to be a part. And a lot of guys, they shared the gospel over and over and over again. And over a series of how long was how long were you guys? About two years. About two years they had been investing in this guy's life. And finally, he ended up making Jesus the Lord of his life. And it was just really awesome that we can be a part of this, this uh, process of being a link in the chain. So everyone get your little chain link out and hold it up in the air and say, I'm a link. I'm a link in the chain. Uh, that's kind of cheesy, but yeah. Um, but we really are, and we really can be. Um, one more story real quick. We have this meeting um, called Paradigm. It's our large group meeting. And this guy named Ryan had some friends. And what they did was they, they befriended him, and they invited him to Paradigm. So I, there's the first link. He was at Paradigm. And ended up, I, I got to talk to him, and I got to start talking to him, and talked about, you know, you like some nonfiction. He, he said he likes nonfiction books. And so I was like, oh, yeah. Me too, I like nonfiction books too. And I said, you know, one of my favorite ones is The Purpose Driven Life. And so I ended up going over, I gave him The Purpose Driven Life, and he, uh, he ended up, that, that time I got to share the gospel with him, and I got to, uh, he ended up accepting Christ. And he's read the book, and now he's involved in a ministry on campus. Not our ministry, but he's involved in a different ministry on campus. So it's really cool that like different friends can be he, they were the ones that invited him. They befriended him and you can just look. Maybe there's people at your meetings right now. They don't know Christ. Maybe there's some people that you can see and you can say, "Okay, I can be a link." They're already they're already a little bit on their journey already, but I can just be the the next link in the chain. And so it, what what matters is not that we bring them to Christ like Dudley said. It's that we bring them toward Christ. I love when Dudley said that. I just explained this whole concept perfectly. Um, one more thing. The last, the last point, number two, it says, this is another cheesy thing too, be winsome so you can win some. <laughs> and then like your laughter and your joy and your life, your laughter can be a light. Psalm 126.2 says, We were filled with laughter and we sang for joy. And the other nations said, what amazing things the Lord has done for them. So when we're happy and we're having fun and we're joyful and we're excited about life, those are some things that these people will see that and they'll, be, they'll think, this is really cool. These people aren't these stereotype Christians that don't know how to have any fun. But you guys can go out and have a lot of fun. One, one example of that, there's a group of guys on our hall and we, we decided to make our hall the, the most fun hall on the, on the in the dorms. And so we would, we would watch the same surfing movie over and over and over again. Um, we would play NCAA football and just hang out, play basketball together. And ended up, this one guy named Anthony started coming around. So the first thing we did was, you know, we, we kind of had this opportunity of ha- just having a lot of fun together and having community. And we did this together, too, because it wasn't just one guy saying, oh, I'm a Christian, you know, I'm this weird guy. But it was a lot of different guys that confirmed that said, oh yeah, I believe this too, I believe this too, I believe this too. And he said, that you started to think that this isn't something that's really a weird thing, it's kind of a normal thing. And so we ended up hanging out with us, he, came, he started coming around, started coming to Paradigm, started coming to other different things with us, and eventually it ended up, after having fun with him, and he came snowboarding on Glorietta with us, um, yeah, it's fun. 
And um, eventually, he ended up coming and recommitting his life to Christ. And because he had been grown up in a Christian home, but he wasn't he wasn't walking with God, and he he com- he recommitted his life to Christ. And so, if you if you create this atmosphere of fun, thanks, Andy. Give Andy a hand. Of, of having fun, then then that's one of the best ways that you can lead people to Christ. Jesus said that, um, but you are the salt of the earth. Um, and then also, Apostle Paul said, let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And, you know, you look, look at the effects of salt. Salt makes you want more. If you have a little bit of, you eat one Lay's potato chip, you can't have just one. <laughs> you got to have more and more and more. And that's what we want our lives to be like. When the people are around us, we want them to be saying, I can't have just one. <laughs> I can't just relate to this person one time. And the other thing about salt is, in order for it to have its effect, it has to be close to what it is on. And it has to be poured on to what it is. And so we need to get, there's this one book called Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World. We need to get out of our salt shaker and into the world and onto the people and and just... Create that taste in their mouth that they can't get out. And they say, this is good stuff. I want more of this. And so that's, that's the last thing, is uh, be winsome so you can win some. And let me just close with a couple stories. Um, my dad, um, he, was, he was a pole vaulter at the University of Oklahoma. I'm not Oklahoma, Florida, sorry. Gators. They lost, but I like Tim Tebow. He's a cool guy. Um, anyway, but he was a pole vaulter there, and... He had some friends that what they did was they were trying to they found him, you know, and they tried to they were trying to pull him towards Christ. They told my dad about Jesus, and my dad was one of those guys that just loved getting into arguments about his faith. He loved kind of giving the Christians a hard time and stuff. And so they would talk to him, and then ended up they invited him, they brought him, so they found him, and then they told him, and then they brought him to this Christian meeting called Campus Crusades for Christ. It's an awesome group, and uh, they ended up at that meeting. Someone gave him one of the tracks called the Four Spiritual Laws. It's very similar to the one that I gave you. Um, and that night, he read that track over and over again. He read it, and that night, he ended up receiving Jesus Christ as his Lord. Just from that track, he ended up accepting Jesus. And now my dad, immediately after he accepted Christ, he started sharing his faith. He started Bible studies. And now my dad has started six churches all over the world. He's start, he's He's... Like, done so many things, and I don't know, it's just amazing to see that those guys at Cambridge Crusade for Christ never realized what impact they were having. They never realized that literally thousands of people have come to Christ in, in direct or indirect result of what they did was just simply inviting my dad to this thing, giving him a track, and God used that to have a tremendous impact. So if we can find the people God wants us to witness to, tell them what God has done for you, and bring them into this relationship with Christ, I believe that if we follow Andrew's example, we can, the world can be changed one person at a time. Just look at, you know, I don't think any of us in here is going to be the next Peter. None of us is going to be the next Billy Graham, or the next Rick Warren, or the next Max Barnett. But what if one of the people that we witness to, what if one of the people that we share Christ with, becomes one of those people. And we get to play a part in that. And it's just like, it's just an amazing vision for me to, to have that. You think about this. Um, I'll, I'll conclude with a story. Okay, so get your imagination hats on again or whatever. Um, just imagine the scene in heaven. And like in Revelation, people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation are gathered together. You know, and... And we're all, we're all standing together, this huge crowd of millions and millions and millions of people. And, they, um, and they're gathered to receive the reward that, that from their life, that they've, they've lived. They live this life. And, of course, the rewards will go in alphabetical order from the English language. So God goes, uh, Andrew. So Andrew comes up. He comes up to the, uh, the platform. And God, he turns around and, and God says... Face the crowd. So Andrew turns and faces the crowd, and he sees this millions and millions and millions of people from all over the world, every tribe, tongue, and nation. And all of a sudden, Peter stands up, and a hush goes over the crowd. Everyone's like, "Peter's speaking. Peter, Peter's about to talk." And Peter says, "If it wasn't for you, Andrew, inviting me to meet Jesus, I wouldn't be here today. Thank you for taking the time to find me and to invite me to Christ." And then another guy 
stands up. Peter stayed standing. Another guy stands up. Cornelius, one of the, one of the first Gentiles that Peter, Peter witnessed to, he stands up and says, I, I, I feared God, but I didn't know about Jesus until Peter came and saved me. Thank you for inviting Peter. And then the 3,000 people from Pentecost stood up. And then everyone that had benefited from Peter's books began to stand up. And crowds of thousands and thousands of thousands of people started to stand up. And Andrew's standing there, and there's all these people. And just because Andrew chose to find his brother Simon and tell him, I found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. He did that simple step, and there's these thousands of people. And then he turns and hears God's voice saying, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my happiness. Let's pray. God, I just thank you so much for this opportunity we get to share Christ with people, God. We're so unworthy to have this opportunity that we get to be a part of your plan. We get to be a part of what you're doing in the world, God. And I pray that we would be faithful with that. And that we would make it our goal to do whatever it takes to see lost people found, God. And that you would really use our lives to have a multiplying impact. Give us the skills, give us the knowledge, give us the heart. And give us, most of all, give us love for you and love for others to to fuel this. In Jesus' name, amen.